yesterday that white Republican suburban women are now going to vote Republican. Why? It's almost like roaches voting for raid, right? That immigration deal being negotiated on Capitol Hill may have been derailed this morning after those comments by the president that have sparked widespread condemnation with the president using an expletive to describe Africa and Haiti. And adding to the firestorm, it's been eight years to the day since that massive earthquake devastated Haiti. Today, that painful anniversary overshadowed as officials from the island nation and around the world lash out at President Trump. Donald Trump is lashing out once again in his ongoing feud with Maryland Representative Elijah Cummings. Now, Trump took to Twitter this morning. He had this to say, quote, Elijah Cummings has had his chance to address it, crime and conditions in Baltimore for decades, and he has not gotten it done. How can he get it done when he just wants to use his oversight committee to hurt innocent people and divide our country? Now, the president has repeatedly attacked Cummings for his criticism of the Trump administration. And just yesterday, Trump called Baltimore a rat-infested mess. As And welcome back to Flyover Politic Podcast. It's the 5th of November, Year of Our Lord, 2022, episode 638. The last one between the midterms. And I wanted to start with Sonny Halston. And we're going to do little vignettes today just to make a case of how bad they really are. And that's... Really bad. And I just positioned with shitholes and rat infested. Yet the media is not saying anything about a view co-host who calls white women cockroaches. I decided to take the bump and strip it apart because there's just so many. There's just so many little vignettes of them talking on the end of democracy. And of course, the reason why they're saying this is because of stuff like this. There's more early voting by GOP. That doesn't happen a lot, but it is. The numbers just don't look good. When the polls changed, we went to this. The polls are just wrong. That's what the media has been running with all this week. The polls are wrong. They're just not that good. They picked the wrong winner. There's no way the right's going to win. But I know some things before we go into the show. 11 times more coverage for Pelosi over Kavanaugh. 
A guy tried to assassinate a Supreme Court justice. The people let them, you know, the federal government let them keep protesting even though it's against the the law. And we've spent all our time talking about a liberal dude in his underwear hitting a guy. And more facts are coming back. We'll cover it in that section. It's not good. We also have, you know, watched over the Dobbs. Look at that. 20 times more... Then pro-abort. Media doesn't care. We have not arrested anybody from Jane's revenge. There's nobody. And know that the media love this shit. Here's CNN back in the day. They were so happy that their ratings were good over January 6th, and that's why they ran with January 6th. And now they're really so concerned about democracy. Washington Post is doing these political violence things. They're all worried about political violence. It's just so bad to have political violence all of a sudden. Yet you're doing it. 2000, 2004, 2012 midterms, 16, pre-16, Trump's campaign, people just getting beat the fuck down. 2018 midterms, both inaugurations. Baseball diamonds. We don't care. And our second soundbite I was going to play is very interesting because the big thing is election denier. We're going to listen to CBS break it down. This is the press secretary. This is 2018. And they act like it just didn't happen. But listen to this soundbite. And we'll discuss. Many of those suspicions about the democratic process stem from former President Trump's false claims about the 2020 election. Scott McFarland is still here. He stayed another day to talk about the effect on this year's races. Scott, always good to have you in the studio. Good morning to you. Good to be here, Gail. Our CBS News review of every federal and statewide race shows of the nearly 590 Republican candidates. There are 308 who we categorize as election deniers. Look at this. In the U.S. House, it's 238 of 436. It's a majority. In the U.S. Senate, again, it's a majority. In gubernatorial races, same number. In Secretary of State races nationwide, it's nearly half. And Secretaries of State would help administer future elections. What do we mean by election denier? CBS News has a lengthy and formal definition. It includes those who've questioned the legitimacy of Biden's election, who won't acknowledge he's the duly elected president, those who say the election was stolen, and those who've repeated disproven claims of fraud. Among the 308 are candidates from 48 different states across the country. Now, I want you to go back and remember that uh, 80... Democrats didn't even go to the inauguration because Donald Trump was not the legal president, they said. Bush, that happened. Here's just a vignette of recent stuff. I'm not even going back. You're going to have Clyburn, the president, press secretaries, white men, Christians, Is this denying the process? If you say, as Chris Hayes will play in a second said, that really it's about, well, if you don't vote us in, you won't be able to vote these people out. Isn't that what you're trying to do here? I am a politic, the media jerk-off of the week. 
country that follows what happened in Germany uh, in the early 30s. And I'm, I, I said this in 2018, it caught a lot of hell from a lot of people for having said it, but I, it was true then and it's true now. This con country is on track to repeat what happened in Germany when it was the greatest democracy going, elected a chancellor who then co-opted the media that this past president uh, I'm concerned about two things. That, very much so, as David enunciated, who I have to just say out loud, David and Jen and I were on opposite sides, never hated each other, had great respect for each other, and now we're all on the same side, which I hope most Americans are. I'm concerned about that. They've set up this narrative, so if they lose, they're going to say, all the polls showed us winning overwhelmingly. How did we lose? It must have been fixed. That's one. Right. And two, I'm continually... Uh, concerned, not by you, but by some media coverage that treats this all as some game that has these forecasts like here's the odds of this and Republicans could win here and Democrats could win there. It's like a weather guy covering a hurricane and saying, oh, by the way, a hurricane's going to hit in three days. Good night. And not telling you what damage it's going to do, what you can do to prevent it. And the gamification of politics in this moment, not only gaming it through polls, which the right has done, but the media make treating this as some sort of game where it doesn't really matter if A or B wins, oh, we'll go on about our lives. I hope what the president said tonight is that there is a serious chance. Not wrong, it is a path to chaos. And whether we take that path to chaos, whether we continue to march down it is one of the major choices, if not the major choice voters face this coming Tuesday. Joining me now for his perspective on President Biden's speech, NBC News presidential historian Michael Bachelos. Michael, we, we spoke the last time the president gave address about democracy and about the context for it, about how unprecedented uh, it is. This speech seemed in some senses more specific about the developments that we're seeing everywhere from the Arizona poll stalkers to the secretaries of state who, who refuse to uh, say that they'll accept the elections. What do you view as the key takeaway of the speech tonight? Well, he was absolutely candid and he was absolutely right because, as you know, Chris, six nights from now, we could all be discussing violence all over this country. There are signs that that may happen, may God forbid, that uh, losers will be declared winners by fraudulent uh, election officers or secretary of state candidates or governors or state legislatures we could be six days away from losing our rule of law and losing a situation where we have elections that we all can rely on. You know, those are the foundation stones of a democracy. So if Biden had gone on the air tonight and said, biggest thing we have to worry about is, you know, marginal tax rate or something like that, well, it is important. But what significant presidents do, I think you will agree, we both write history, you and I, 1860, Lincoln didn't say biggest issue is land-grant colleges, although he felt strongly. He said the country can't survive half-slave or half-free. 1940, Franklin Roosevelt didn't say, you know, the biggest thing I'm worried about is farm policy. Uh, farm policy was important to him, but what he did say was, never before since Jamestown and Plymouth Rock has America been in such danger. Mm. Joe Biden is saying the same thing tonight. And a historian 50 years from now, 
if historians are allowed to write in this country and if there are still free publishing houses and a free press, which, which I'm not certain of. But if that is true, a historian will say what was at stake tonight and this week was the fact whether we will be a democracy in the future, whether our children will be arrested and conceivably killed. We're on the edge of a brutal authoritarian system, and it could be a week away. President Biden said to deliver that speech on democracy in our country, preserving it in the wake of the attack on Pelosi and other threats to leaders and the escalating rhetoric. We have learned President Biden now said to deliver a speech on democracy in our country, preserving democracy in the wake of the attack on Paul Pelosi and other threats, the escalating rhetoric across the country. So let's bring in our senior White House correspondent, Mary Bruce, live at the White House tonight. Mary's learned some of what the president will say tonight. What have you learned, Mary? And David, the president is going to make it crystal clear what is at stake in this election. He is pointing out that there are candidates running for every office, every level of office in this country, who will not commit to accepting the results of the very elections they are running in. Biden warning, quote, that is the path to chaos in America. It's unprecedented. It's unlawful. And it is un-American, saying you can't love your country only when you win. Now, in the wake of January 6th and just days after the attack on Paul Pelosi, the president is speaking about the importance of this moment, saying in a typical year, we are not often faced with the question of whether the vote we cast will preserve democracy or put it at risk. But we are this year. And the president is also reminding every American that it could take several days to get the final results, saying that is the system working. Tonight, we've got a lot of news to cover with less than a week to go before Election Day. President Biden making a surprise speech tonight, saying the future of democracy depends on your vote. Folks, this ain't your father's Republican Party. This is president Biden and former President Obama argue the future of America is at stake. CBS's Nancy Cordes reports on why the attack on Nancy Pelosi's husband inspired the speech. Tonight, President Biden is calling on all Americans to stand up to protect our democracy amid the threats that election deniers pose to the voting process. The White House says the president is seeking to find common ground with voters that our country's future is more important than our political parties. All this is taking place as the House continues to investigate the January 6th attack on the Capitol, in which thousands attempted to interfere with the verification of the 2020 presidential election. And it comes just days after the alleged attempted murder of House Speaker Nancy Pelosi's husband by an attacker who broke into their San Francisco home with the intent to kidnap her. And with President Biden laying out the stakes with just five days until the midterms. Closing argument. President Biden saying democracy is on the ballot on Tuesday, calling it the struggle for the soul of America and calling out former President Trump. With hundreds of 2020 election deniers on ballots across the country, the president addresses the nation. The primetime warning from President Biden. With the final votes in the midterms just five days away, he declared that American democracy is under attack, called out election deniers led by former President Trump. This is a speech President Biden has very much been wanting to give, laying out the stakes for what is coming up in these midterms. He says this is a struggle for the very soul of America and that democracy is on this ballot for everyone in this country. It was a midterm closing argument and an 
urgent warning about the future of democracy as we know it. A political speech delivered in a telling location, just blocks away from the U.S. Capitol that was under siege on January 6th. And President Biden not mincing words about who he blames for what he calls an assault on democracy. This is exactly what President Biden is talking about. We've analyzed public statements along with our partners at 538. And you could see candidates that deny the legitimacy of the last election, they're on the ballot everywhere. Almost every state has people like that running for Congress or statewide office. These are the ones that I'm most keyed in on, though, because these are battleground states that have people who deny the legitimacy of the election. Is America on that timeline? How far along that timeline toward a civil war is the United States? We also know who tends to start civil wars. Most people think it's going to be the poorest members of society. And, and they have the motive. They have the grievances. They have a reason to rebel. Or they think it's the most heavily discriminated or it's the immigrants. Um, all these groups who, who ha are, are, are in some ways downtrodden. But again, they don't start civil wars. The groups that tend to start civil wars, especially ethnically based civil wars, are the groups that had once been dominant and are in decline. So they they used to dominate politically, economically, and oftentimes socially. Um, and they're losing that position oftentimes because demographics are changing. Again, um, you know, <laughs> this is not, these are not studies that were done on the United States. These were studies that were done on over 200 different civil wars that we've seen around the world. And if you apply that to the United States, you also see similarities. Um, the, the we've, we've seen a, a, a significant rise in violent extremism since 2008. Some of it's been on the left, but the vast majority of it has been on the far right. And it's been perpetrated almost exclusively by white men. Um, and again, if you look at the history of the United States, the group that had been dominant since the very inception of our country were white men. They also tended to be um, Christian, and they are losing that position. It's no longer guaranteed that you're going to get into the best schools or get the best jobs or or have um, you know economic security your whole life suddenly there's a lot of competition out there and you see a subset of this population becoming increasingly resentful angry and they truly feel that this is their country and that um, they're being patriots by by saving what they my god that's your final pitch those people are evil. They might do what we did, because remember, we fortified an election. We changed 80 voting laws. We ensured that mail-in voting was happening and ballot stuffing and harvesting. We stopped the count, and we lied why we were stopping the count. So we can fortify elections. That's okay. But... Well, let's, Chris Hayes is the only one with the balls to fucking say it. Good evening from New York. I'm Chris Hayes. It's the final stretch of the campaign before Tuesday's midterm elections. And Democrats have made threats to our very democracy. Their closing argument to voters. In our bones, we know democracy at risk is at risk. But we also know this. It's within our power, each and every one of us, to preserve our democracy. And I believe we will. I think I know this country. I know we will. You have the power. The only way we can get the kind of future we want is to elect Democrats who care about democracy, who care about protecting our rights and our values, 
who respect our institutions and the rule of law. When true democracy goes away, people get hurt. It has real-life consequences. It's not some abstract political science question. We are all affected. And, and we take this for granted, and we can't. I, I think that's all true. If you watch this program, you know that. And you can see right there in that last clip, in Obama's message, the particular challenge of making the threat to democracy immediate and tangible. And, of course, Barack Obama is the most gifted Democratic communicator generations, right? And he's trying to do it, losing democracy. Because what does that mean, ultimately? What does that mean to a voter? <laughs> what does it mean to lose democracy? And as former President Obama said, at one level, democracy is an abstract idea. No one has any authority standing over you. No God-given monarch or dictator telling you what to do. No gods, no masters, in an old lefty phrase I've always loved. We are the masters of our own fate. Just us directing ourselves together. We all come together, bound to each other through citizenship. We decide what our fates will look like. And that's the beautiful, sublime, radical core of the American project. Political leaders, I think, sometimes neglect to explain what all that means in practice. And really what it means when it comes down to it, the core American freedom, American democracy from the time that we kicked the butt of King George, is the freedom to just throw the bums out. Honestly, that's what it comes down to. That's what a democracy is. If you're in Iran right now, you want to stop the morality piece, the morality police from harassing you or the besieged from beating you, you want to get rid of the oppressive regime, the supreme leader whose authority is granted by God, you're out of luck. If you're in Russia, you're being squeezed by a corrupt local official. Too bad. Tough luck. Nothing you can really do about it outside of mass political movements, hope for regime change. You can't throw the bums out. They're here to stay. But in America, like in other democracies, there is always another election around the corner. In fact, that's basically why midterm elections exist to begin with, or it is what they have become in the modern era, particularly since 1994. Every two years, they offer voters a chance to voice their discontent with the direction the country's taking. And voters take that chance. They take that opportunity. 2006, voters were mad about Republicans' handling of the Iraq War, which was increasingly viewed correctly as a colossal mistake. And the answer, throw the bums out. Democrats won 32 seats in the House. 2010, lots of voters were scared about President Barack Obama's signature health care bill, the Affordable Care Act. Republicans won 64 seats in the House. Then 2018, another midterm. The Affordable Care Act, by then, pretty popular. Voters are scared of it being taken away. They didn't like Republicans trying to repeal it. So guessed it. You guessed it. They threw the bums out. Democrats won 40, 41 seats in the House. That's basically how it works, how it's supposed to work at some level. You know, elections represent a feedback me mechanism, a way of registering discontent that in some ways is the bedrock of what democracy means. We've got two parties in this country. We've got a, what's called a first-past-the-post system, two parties, two big coalitions. They're unwieldy and complicated. When one of them has power in all branches of government and you don't like the way the country's going, you fire them or you fire some of them. Now, let's be clear it does not always lead to the best outcomes. I think the 2010 election was a disaster. It made the country worse. It ushered in austerity and terribly anti-democratic gerrymandering. And that mechanism does not always ascribe blame to the right people at all. 
But it's kind of what we got. It's the basic mechanism of feedback. It's the way the system more or less functions. It's what democracy means. And the problems arise when you can't throw the bums out. That's when things start to get sclerotic. How is that democracy? How? You, you literally think that you can only vote your people in. That's their final ploy. That's just some fucked up shit. That's just some fucked up shit. And his red speech part due, which, my God, I, I, sorry, I got updates going on and going crazy over here. New at DNC event tonight, Biden will tell voters that this year's election is America deciding whether the votes will preserve democracy or put it at risk. I ask you to think long and hard about the moment we are in. DNC excerpt of Biden's democracy speech tonight are out. President Biden tonight. Sorry, let me try to shut the shit out. Um, 7 p.m. from Union Station will be delivering marks on preserving and protecting our democracy. The speech, according to the DNC advisors, will address the threat of election deniers and those who seek to undermine faith of voting and democracy. Isn't it interesting how he talked about deniers and then the entire fucking meeting talked, media talked about deniers and we were denying? But we denied Trump the whole time. We still deny that Trump won an election. So for our asshole, here is Biden and the press secretary pretty much denying once again what democracy is. Fuck you, asshole. You asshole. This is why we can't have nice things. You asshole! Are you just an asshole? Is that it? Fuck you, you asshole! You ever hear the saying, you run into an asshole in the morning, you ran into an asshole. You run into assholes all day, you're the asshole. Fuck you, asshole. You! You are such an asshole! You are an asshole. You dumb asshole! Asshole! Fucking asshole! Away from me, you asshole. The bottom line is the president is committed to helping families right now, while Republicans officials are committed to raising costs and chilling for big farmer and big oil. Lastly, this afternoon, an inflection point. He has been clear democracy is under assault and we cannot pretend otherwise. The president will continue to call attention to the threat to, dem to democratic integrity and to public safety posed by those who deny the documented truth about election results and those who seek to undermine public faith in our system of government. Unfortunately, we have seen mega MAGA Republican officials who don't believe in the rule of law. They refuse to accept the results of free and fair elections, and they fan the flames of political violence through what they praise and what they refuse to condemn. It remains important for the president to state strongly and unequivocally that violence has no place in our democracy. He we must vote knowing what's at stake and not just the policy of the moment, but institutions that have held us together as we sought a more perfect union are also at stake. 
He woke him up. He wanted to tie him up. The assailant ended up using a hammer to smash Paul's skull. Thankfully, by the grace of God, Paul survived. All this happened after the assault. And it just, I, it's hard to even say. It's hard to even say. After the assailant entered the home asking, where's Nancy? Where's Nancy? Those are the very same words used by the mob when they stormed the United States Capitol on January the 6th. But there's something else at stake. Democracy itself. I'm not the only one who sees it. Recent polls have shown that overwhelming majority of Americans believe our democracy is at risk, that our democracy is under threat. They, too, see that democracy is on the ballot this year, and they're deeply concerned about it, as well as any IBW guys here. Well, guess what? You guys are going to install 50, excuse me, 500,000 charging stations around the country. So it's going to be, that's like 500,000 gas stations. Not a joke. 500,000. Because people are going to say, I'm not buying a vehicle because that can only take me X number of miles. So it's going to become a wind generation. And all they're doing is going to save them a hell of a lot of money and using the same transmission line they transmitted the coal-fired electric on. We're going to be shutting these plants down all across America and having wind and solar. Those last sound bites, I got to tell you right now, they pretty much sum up that why people have tinfoil hats, that you're literally going to have the balls to say that shit. We're going to get rid of coal in coal country. That, that's, that's what he said. And if we want to talk about fortifying, here we go again, Zuckerberg, Zuckerberg bankrolled source-backed group that may have illegally failed to disclose lobbying. Well, Tony, that's not a big deal. Well, how about this one? Wisconsin election official fraud accused of fraudulently sending military absentee ballots to election-denying GOP legislator. She's a damn... How about Yamichi Alcinder voting in Florida? Here's actual proof that her residency is in D.C. That's not news. No, none of that's news. We're, we're not going to talk about that. A group found it. She's registered to vote in one spot, but she's voting somewhere else. And... and because I got no place to fit it. Here's Liz Cheney freaking out because they're saying, we're not just going to send money to Ukraine. Americans actually are saying, why are we sending all this money to Ukraine? It's money laundering. Why? How about 2015 when they were still election denying? How about that? How about a thousand pages of the FBI fortifying fucking elections working with the FBI, DHS, all that shit. How about we had actual insurrection this week? Individual accounts. Any failure to file a report thus gives rise to a single statutory violation.
a single statutory violation, no matter how many accounts a person has or how many mistakes a person might make on a single form. Because there is no independent duty to report each account, there is no independent violation every time an account is not reported. According According to the government, petitioner violated the act 272 times for unintentionally. How about that HRC to this day who's running around claims voters don't really understand midterm stakes are running around. She's still on the airwaves after denying an election for fucking six years and able to talk like this. Anachronistic electoral college but by state legislatures, many of them Republican controlled. But there's also good news in the face of this very real threat to democracy. Indivisible has launched Crush the Coup to make sure we're ready to defend democracy in 2024. They've put together a list of critical races in six key states and how you can get involved. Will you support Crush the Coup by donating to indivisible and state legislature candidates? Each of these races is highly competitive and your dollars could very well decide the winners and the winner of the next presidential election. This could not be more important. Um Throughout the 2016 campaign, Donald Trump would use lock her up as a call and response to his audience about you. Michael Flynn would repeat it. it uh, I can remember being in the, in the convention um, in, in Cleveland and it was guttural, the amount of rage directed at you personally. It was very, it felt very mm -hmm. personal. When you look at where we've come since then, to where Donald Trump's ideology has now taken full root in the Republican Party, Carrie Lake laughed at Paul Pelosi, an 82-year-old man being beaten um, and concussed uh, by an intruder. And that is now just standard. Are you concerned that our democracy is not going to be able to hold past what you can only describe as fascism, violent politics, and demand for power without elections? Well, I hope that uh, voters uh, really rally in this uh, last week before the midterms to understand fully what's at stake, to not get diverted. Like I said, you know, the Republicans have been talking about nothing but crime. Then when a crime is committed against Paul Pelosi, they could care less. These people do not really believe half of what they say. I served for eight years in the Senate. I know a lot of the people who are still there and I don't recognize them. And I do know they know better than what they're talking about, but they think that they need to be part of this, you know, right wing move that uh, is uh, unfortunately taken over the Republican Party. So we have a weak for people to focus. If you have a candidate in your state who laughs about an 82-year-old man being hit with a hammer in his own home, there's something wrong with that person. Why would they want you to laugh with them about a crime? If you have someone running who voted in the House, as the vast majority of the Republicans did, uh, to you know turn back the clock on women's rights, to turn back the clock on Social Security and Medicare, then 
why on earth would you vote for that person? So let's clear away the smoke and the noise and try to focus on what's in your interest. You know, the Republicans have talked a lot about inflation. They've done nothing about it. It's President Biden who has gone after, you know, corporate profits that uh, seem to be way out of whack, particularly for the energy. Well, Secretary Clinton, you know Putin very well. I mean, back from when you were Secretary of State, the reset of relations with Russia, and then you know, I think a lot of people don't realize that you wrote this confidential memo at the end of your time as Secretary of State telling the White House, you know, don't flatter him with high level attention, decline his invitation for a presidential summit, don't appear too eager to work together. You seem to have a really good sense of his mindset. Do you have a concern that officials seem more concerned about now than they were months ago that he would use nuclear weapons? I. Uh, I don't believe that uh, at this point. But if you look at what's happening um, in Iran, if you look at what's happening in, you know, all over the world, uh, Bolsonaro, whatever, democracy is in danger all over the world, here in the United States as well. But it's all over the world, Secretary Clinton. This is a global thing that is happening. What do we do? Speak to us about that, please. Well, Don, you're right. I mean, we are in a, a struggle between democracy and autocracy. Uh, we have seen uh, Xi in China consolidate his power. So even what used to be a collective base of power is now all in one person. We're watching Putin uh, abuse and misuse that power to literally rewrite history. We saw a very close election uh, in Brazil, we're seeing the uprising in Iran. This is a time of great ferment. And it is a time when the United States should be standing strongly on behalf of our values of democracy and freedom, of opportunity and equality, instead of being engaged in this culture war driven by the political opportunism. She's never accepted that she lost, just like Stacey Abrams. So this election denying thing really falls flat when all you do is deny and when you're using the DHS like this. Uh, earlier this week, we reported the story that shows the evolving mission of the Department of Homeland Security uh, that uh, they're moving to police online discourse under the mantle of uh, fighting alleged disinformation and misinformation uh, this effort began in earnest in 2017 after uh, Russian interference in the 2016 election. Uh, there was kind of a dry run of efforts to uh, censor and influence uh, social media around the pandemic, around the 2020 election. But as you mentioned, documents we obtained uh, from uh, litigation, from uh, public resources, and from uh, whistleblowers uh, shows uh, the really massive uh, expansion uh, of this uh, mission uh, that uh, the DHS plans to weigh in on inherently political topics. Uh, again, as you mentioned, the uh, war in Ukraine, U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan, the origins of, of COVID, um, these are policy topics. Uh, these are areas of contentious debate. It's not clear why the government should be weighing in and giving us the official truth and, and censoring um, dissenting opinions. Uh, th these documents uh, raise uh, clear civil liberty concerns, concerns around uh, the First Amendment and if the government is trying to shape the kind of news we see. 
Now, remember, they have been doing this the whole time. Then they came out with the DHS that we're going to do the Homeland Security thing. Then they went back to, no, we're not going to do it. Then we find out they did. But you encapsulate all the things you just heard from the left, Kleinberg, HRC. Remember when they used to breathlessly talk about Trump like this? Sam, the idea of preserving heritage taps into historically darker times, certainly. Not only that, though, you say what we heard from the president in, that, in those remarks also could pose a national security concern. Well, Anna, his statement makes me sick. On a personal level, preserving our heritage, reclaiming our heritage, that sounds a lot like a certain leader that killed members of my family and about six million other uh, Jews in the 1940s. But on a national security level, the president talks about preserving our heritage as a catch-all for implementing policies that misallocate resources. He pretends that there are massive flows of illegal immigrants coming over our borders and is spending billions of dollars on a border wall emergency instead of paying attention to real national security threats. He sounds a lot like despotic leaders that have talked about white heritage and white nationalism around the world and is putting resources in the wrong place and pretending that there are foreign people trying to uh, influence our country in a way that just isn't accurate. Who does that speak to? It speaks to his base. And it also, by the way, this whole CPAC speech, how many pieces, parts of President Putin's to-do list was President Trump trying to accomplish today? He denigrated our institutions, the Department of Justice and the U.S. Congress. He spread misinformation and conspiracy theories. He undermined the credibility of several of our institutions. He sowed divisions. He sowed confusion. He was speaking to his base, but he was also saying things that really look like Vladimir Putin scripted his speech. So it helped him perhaps with his base and politically while we talked about how unpresidential donald trump was the red speech and the speech he just did are so unpresidential to forfeit that american democracy can't make it through without you voting for democrats a that is imperatively immensely fascist i mean just just fascist it's a hundred percent fascist but it shows to me that you don't believe in democracy you don't believe it can make it through things because what you believe is without you, there is no democracy. That's fucking insane. About as insane as the Pelosi attack. So let's move into some violence. Craig, good morning. When officers arrived here at the Pelosi home exactly a week ago today, they initially didn't have any idea exactly what was going on. They knew they had a high priority call on their hand. What was unclear, what was happening inside the property just behind me. This morning, Paul Pelosi is home, back at the house that became a crime scene a week ago today. NBC News learning new details about the moments police arrived. Sources familiar with what unfolded in the Pelosi residence now revealing when officers responded to the high-priority call, they were seemingly unaware they'd been called to the home of the Speaker of the House. After a knock and announce, the front door was opened by Mr. Pelosi. The 82-year-old did not 
not immediately declare an emergency or try to leave his home, but instead began walking several feet back into the foyer toward the assailant and away from police. It's unclear if the 82-year-old was already injured or what his mental state was, say sources. According to court documents, when the officer asked what was going on, defendant smiled and said everything's good. But instantaneously, a struggle ensued as police clearly saw David DePap strike Paul Pelosi in the head with a hammer. After tackling the suspect, officers rushed to Mr. Pelosi, who was lying in a pool of blood. What we do know is he brutally attacked Mr. Pelosi and attempted to kill him. After spending several days in the ICU, Pelosi, who is recovering from a fractured skull and serious injuries to his arm and hand, is now home where Capitol Police remain on alert. Investigators have previously said Pelosi did not know DePap when the 42-year-old broke into his home. Why Pelosi didn't try to flee or tell responding officers he was in distress is unclear. Fear takes over. Fear freezes people. This morning, the 82-year-old, lucky to be alive, after an intruder nearly killed him in his own home. Law enforcement, tell, law enforcement officials tell us the bottom line here is this was a terrifying situation. We still don't know exactly what unfolded between Mr. Pelosi and the suspect for the 30 minutes they were alone inside that house before police arrived. Officials who were investigating this matter would not go into further details about these new details. Craig, back to you. Oh, yeah. One thing's for sure, though, he is lucky to be alive. Miguel Amalgar for us. Miguel, thank you important to point out that as this family continues to deal with this traumatic experience, there are still people out there, many of them with large political followings, that have been making light and have been making fun of the brutal assault of an 82-year-old man. Well, and as Josh you was bet. just noting, there are people who are mocking this, despite yeah. the serious nature of these charges and the details that we're learning about this. One of those is the Republican candidate for governor in Arizona, Carrie Lake, who last night uh, saw this as a laughing matter, essentially. It is not impossible to protect our kids at school. They act like it is. Nancy Pelosi, well, she's got protection when she's in D.C. Apparently her house doesn't have a lot of protection. But Wild. you see the moderator there laughing Wild. as well, covering his face. You know, what do you make of it when you see something like what Carrie Lake, how she treats it there? You know, I'm actually struck by the fact that law enforcement had to um, really underscore the facts of the case, right? Because they're aware that they have to refute whatever growing storm there is on social media. And it really distills the challenges that we have, right, as journalists, which is that even if you can have the words of the defendant, right, like um, in court documents, somehow all of that in this sort of post-factual environment is subject to debate, subject to discussion and subject to speculation and unfortunately subject to uh, amusement. Well, it's interesting. He doesn't believe in the interview. He doesn't believe that it has hurt him. And I don't know if they have internal polling that shows that, but he says that my polling shows that, uh, that having that debate hasn't hurt. But it's interesting when you talk to people, they say, you know, it's not a big deal. People often say things to people who are doing polling um, that they don't necessarily, it doesn't mean that they're going to vote that way. But I always say that my mother is my one woman focus group. Yes. Mm -hmm. And what'd she say? She said, I was expecting worse having dealt with people who have strokes. I did not think he did badly at all as, you know, the, the press has been putting out. She said he thought he did fine. Um, but again, the people of Pennsylvania will decide this. And I have to be quite honest. 
I didn't have the same reaction as most people. Like most people are like, oh my gosh, I can't believe it. You know, Oz is, you know, doing such a great job with him. Dr. Oz, of course, um, is a smart man and did a great job. But I actually thought um, I was expecting worse you from Fetterman. Mm -hmm. I was. And I think that people will be more empathetic than we in the media may be. We know where Mark's opponent stands. He supports a nationwide abortion ban. You already heard he called abortion demonic and a religious sacrifice. Again, that's the kind of over-the-top language that ends up getting people hurt. Because if your opponents are demonic, well, then there, there's no constraint on what you think you can do to them. Break into their homes. Hit people with hammers. Because they're, they're demons. It's demonic. I'm Gladys Sicknick. I'm the mother of Brian Sicknick, the Capitol Police officer who died defending our country on January 6th. Carrie Lake is very dangerous for our country. She saw what happened on January 6th and continues to spread the big lie. And we're going to have more violence because people, they believe whatever she says. It's very dire for our democracy, for our country, with candidates like Carrie Lake. My son died because of people like Carrie Lake. Yeah, that's Obama saying that uh, somebody in Arizona is at fault for what happened. And the most important thing was that Sisnik video. That's just sick. A, he didn't die like that. But the first soundbite you heard was taken off the air because they reported it. And then they got pressure from the Dems to take it down and NBC took it down. The whole case is funny, and we know it is, because here's the Washington Post. If you ask, oh, Shar, if you ask about the video, you're just feeding conspiracies. Because they don't want the truth to get out. Kinzinger is pushing that my son died bullshit. I know Gladys, she's an amazing woman. That is dirty. That's like Bane Capital shit. And some of you remember that, where uh, because Romney worked for Bain Capital, he gave people fucking cancer. That's how dirty they were in that election cycle. And it's not surprising, because they got nothing. They got nothing. I mean, my comedy section is this today, and I, I'm, I rarely do this. I rarely promote candidates on here, if you notice, because... Um, let's be honest, I'm not a Republican. I'm an independent. I think both parties pretty much suck ass. But, folks, my gallbladder is killing me today. Things are getting better. They're better, but the gallbladder is not good. When you are going against people... Well, let's do it the right way. This is how I wanted to do it first. This is Carrie Lake. Just, I think, two sound bites. Chris Bickley from CBS News. Hi, Chris. I don't know if you've seen this ad attacking you. That's which, the, one? <laughs> which one? Which one? Which one, Chris? The, uh, the, the mother of Brian Signet, the Capitol Police officer that died uh, the day after January 6th. She, in, in an attack ad, is saying that people like you specifically are responsible for her son's death. I'm curious what you think when you hear that. What's her name? The mother of Brian Sicknick? Yeah. I think it's Cindy Sicknick. Cindy, I just want to say to Cindy Sicknick, I'm so sorry about the death of your son. It, it is tragic. I'm a, 
a mother myself, and that is, uh, it breaks my heart. That's a, that is a wound when you lose a child, no matter how old they are, that never heals. And so I don't want to disparage her. She doesn't know me. I wasn't anywhere near the Capitol on January 6th. And I understand that her son died, I think, the following day of a stroke or natural causes. And I, I feel for her, and I, I see the pain in her eyes. And I would never try to disparage or hurt her because I know when a mother has pain like that, there's no way to heal that. And that's why I feel for these moms and dads who hit me up on the campaign trail and they grab me. And you can spot them from across the room. There is a, a loss in their lives that can never be replaced. And we're losing thousands of young people. When they tell me they lost a son to fentanyl, when they lost a daughter to fentanyl poisoning, um, this is why we are pushing so hard to secure that border and stop fentanyl from pouring across. I'm used to attack ads. I've had probably more money spent against me than any candidate in Arizona in attack ads. But the people know me here. They're not believing what they're seeing in the attack ads. I've been in their homes for 27 years. And additionally, besides attack ads, I've had 100% negative lying coverage by the fake news of me and my campaign and our people. And so we've withstood that. And we will win, and we're going to do great things for Arizona, despite what you guys say. What about, what about a broader tax, like a tenth of a percentage cut in, a, in the overall sales tax? So that, looks, that, that gives everybody a little bit of a break, not just people who live in towns where there's a grocery tax. Well, I, do you think it's right that we're being taxed on the food we eat? This is a necessity. Uh, I don't think it's right. I think it's pretty basic. Universally, people think that that's a really bad tax, an inappropriate tax. It was definitely un unpopular, I believe, in Phoenix a few years ago. you got to eat. Right? I mean, yeah. what are the choices here? And so we're going to look at lowering our sales tax, tax as well. Hopefully in the first year, additionally, we're going to lower our sales tax. We have a surplus, and when, surplus means we're taxing people too much money. And we're going to give some of that money back. So we will look at cutting the sales tax as well. We want to look at cutting property taxes in one of our first four years and, and many other areas to make life more affordable here in Arizona. So many people move here because it's affordable and it's quickly becoming very unaffordable. And we can blame that on Joe Biden, the fool sitting in the White House. Uh, um. And I want to say one more thing on that. One of the things that the cities were saying, some of these uh, elected officials in our cities were saying, oh, it's going to cost, a, it's going to hurt our police and law enforcement. They know that's a lie. And I will tell you, if your elected city official is saying we can't help during these difficult economic times by cutting our grocery and rent tax without penalizing your safety, if the very first thing that these elected officials think to do is to cut police and fire, then vote these guys out because that's terrible leadership. Our people need help. We're struggling right now in this economy. And if the first thing for these city leaders is to go, okay, we're cutting police and fire, they should never hold office again. Uh, good to see you both. Kari, let me start with you. I'm sure you're all upset that Barack Obama went out there to <laughs> campaign against you. Oh, first it was Liz Cheney last week, and I just laughed that off, and now I'm living rent-free in Barack Obama's mind, and then Eric Holder today. But I was a little concerned today, I'm going to be honest, when I saw Hillary Clinton bad-mouthing me, <laughs> and she, lo she looked angry and actually scared and, and uh, 
just uh, completely unrelated, I want you to know, just in case you're wondering, I'm in perfect health, my brakes on my car are in good shape, and I'm not suicidal. And we're going to win this thing on Tuesday. <laughs> now, there's articles all over the place. The left made her a star. And I think I have, let me flip through, because I, I was going to do this later, but it's just better to just oppose right on this stuff. And, and I, once again, I'm not embarrassed to say this. That's me. Rhonda Santis and her, I would fucking go door to door. She's articulate. She can handle, I mean, what, what kind of question is that? How do you feel about a gutter, slimy, fucking dirty ad? That you're part of the problem. That's why Nancy Pelosi's husband got attacked by his gay lover. I mean, by some guy. We don't even know what happened out there. They're just using it. I mean, they're just using it. But they have talked about her like she's a piece of shit. And you know why? Because you're about to see TikTokers, Colbert with Warren, a bunch of Fetterman short clips, and Stacey Abrams. This is who they're running. Um, there's a there's a weird dichotomy out there. There uh, that there is. I've seen headlines saying lack of enthusiasm. I've seen other headlines that say at the same time this is historic turnout that hasn't been seen since the mid 70s. Clearly, this is an important but strange time. Do you have a closing argument <laughs> as we go into the last few days? So this is about a huge choice. I mean, like giant differences. There are going to be four things on the ballot. Whoever's name is there, Roe versus Wade is going to be on the ballot. The Republicans want to ban access to abortion all across this country. The Democrats think that the patient and the doctor should make the decision and not your local elected officials. Yes, Pennsylvania, I'm looking at you. John Fetterman. Okay, that's one. That's one. That's one, hold on. You bet. One. Hey, so you back him. I'm a savage. Yeah. Classy, bougie, ratchet. Yeah. Sassy, moody, hey. nasty. Yeah. Hacking, stick in the hips. Come get in my car. Summer of 1986. I, uh, I think every, everyone that ever plays uh, football in, in high school was, you know, at a kind of like a trade. Trade out, kind of, uh, football camp, and, uh, wasn't, wasn't, there wasn't any interest to have me come play here, you know. I'm running for the U.S. Senate, kid. I need all the help I can get. You're running for Senate? Sure. Where's your suit, and your flag pin, and your hair? Oh, hey, kid. I just want you to know I'd vote for you. Hey, thanks, kid. You want a drink? Nah, no. Really? You can have it. Okay. Thanks. See you around. Hey, kid. Catch. Thanks, Mayor John. 
What's a jagoff? Um, I'll tell you when you're older. Fetterman, who's recovering from a stroke in May, used a closed captioning device during the interview, with the stenographer typing out the questions in real time. Cardiac surgeon, in my view, came off as a bully. After the debate, the Republican National Committee chairwoman, Ronna McDaniel, mocked you, mocked your speaking abilities. Does any of this surprise you, a man with a Harvard master's degree? Do you think the people of Pennsylvania saw what they needed to see from you to gain their vote? Yeah, I, I really believe that it, it certainly wasn't an even uh, an even event for me, without a doubt. I mean, that's what that's what recovery in the middle of a, a stroke after five minutes really was. Um, you know, I I think it was really critical that I showed up, and that's exactly what I did. And and I believe that uh, that I was proud to to show up. And like I said, it was much much more pleasant being with all of you today than I was with with uh, on the stage uh, with Dr. Oz. <laughs> Let me just first ask, the Washington Post has an extensive piece of reporting on the black vote in America, and it rightly points out that black voters were responsible for turning Georgia blue, that black voters got Joe Biden elected in many ways. What is your expectation for black voter turnout in this election by Election Day? We know early voting has started. How do you see the numbers? Where do you see the numbers? Go ahead. The numbers are extraordinary. We have seen black men participate at 91.8% of their 2020 general election turnout. We have seen black women participate at 90%. These are the two highest concentrations of voters. And let's be clear, they are participating despite the impediments of SB202, despite the racially charged voter challenges authorized by SB202, despite the barriers to using absentee ballots, which Black voters used in abundance in 2018 and 21 until the time was truncated and the process made more complicated. They are doing this despite hurdles and barriers because they know how vital this election is. And it is deeply disingenuous. No wonder they attacked Carrie Lake. I mean, look at that. You ended with an election denier and you started with the lady who literally lied about her race. Both of those are supposedly disqualifiers disqualifiers says disqualifiers ain't a word and then you got a brain dead motherfucker and two shitty candidates Whitmer and Beto O'Rourke doing TikTok you're TikToking A they would never be asked the question what do you think about this their questions are how do you feel about election deniers and you get to just you know it's all softballs but Carrie Lake gets fucking attacked every fucking day you made her a rock star And all of those are fine with, this guy's in jail, this guy ain't in jail. I could list a whole bunch of crime today. He's not in jail. That guy's in jail. Not in. Because it's all who you are. Did you know this week that a fucking bullet was shot through a GOP's family's window? Yeah. We didn't, we didn't do that. How about, you know, we, we talked about Rubio. Here's another. 
GOP fucking door knocker bit. That that's that's okay. It's all okay. And the most glaring thing as we go into these midterms is how the media is just completely ignoring Biden's health. I'm a big fan of HBCUs. I got my start at one of those other HBCUs, Delaware State University. As the president said, Delaware State is a historically black college university. Uh, Joe Biden didn't go there. He went to University of Delaware. He doesn't know where he went to school. We'll just leave it at that. I don't have a greater friend in the United States Senate. Inflation is a worldwide problem right now because of a war in Iraq and the impact on oil and what Russia's doing. I mean, excuse me, the war in, in Ukraine. And uh, thinking of Iraq because that's where my son died. You know how much it costs to make that insulin drug for diabetes? Cost. It was invented by a man who did not patent it because he wanted it available for everyone. I spoke to him. Okay. Hmm. Ooh, uh, those were just a few of the verbal gaffes at yesterday's President Biden's rally. And if that wasn't enough, um, when he was talking about Florida Senator Rick Scott, he launched into this kind of very awkward, cringy, as the kids might say these days, uh, a Southern impression that some are comparing to certain Looney Tunes characters. I don't know, you might remember Foghorn Leghorn. You make the decision for yourself. Take a listen. A senator from Florida going after Medicare and Social Security? I tell you what, I don't know where, as they say in Southern, I don't know where y'all been. And when Debbie and I passed this law, it included everybody, not just seniors. And so what happened was we said, okay, you know how much it costs to make that insulin drug for diabetes? Cost. It was invented by a man who did not patent it because he wanted it available for everyone. I spoke to him, okay? It's just the latest in a series of gaffes made by the President of the United States. Joe Biden was addressing a crowd of supporters in Hallandale Beach in Florida when he made a pretty bizarre blunder. While pumping up his administration's Inflation Reduction Act, he spoke about the impact it would have on those who have diabetes. How many of you know somebody with diabetes and needs insulin? Do you know how much it costs to make that insulin drug for diabetes? It was invented by a man who did not patent it because he wanted it available for everyone. I spoke to him, okay. The problem was the two men awarded the Nobel Prize in Medicine for their discovery of insulin. So Frederick Banting and Professor John James Richard McLeod died before Joe Biden was even born. Mr Banting died in 1941 and Professor McLeod died in 1935. Joe Biden wasn't born until 1942. Neither of those men were named on the patent because they felt it was unethical. However, the two other men, Charles Best and James Collip, who later purified the medicine, were alive after the president's birth and were named on the patent, but that is not what Joe Biden said in his address. Regardless, who knows what the chances are that Joe Biden met with either of those two men to discuss insulin prior to their deaths when Joe Biden was in his early 20s and 30s. With the midterm elections only one week away, the Democratic Party cannot afford to be suffering any more blunders. Joe Biden... So the New York Times verbally stumbles. Verbally fumbles. We did full fucking psych evals on TV back in the day. And to show that they're just uh, our media, because I really haven't done a media thing. You know, I, I've done a little, but 
we're about to do a short little spin, their final, final thing, and, and it's amazing. But these are journalists. There's a whole thread of them. I just don't understand high gas prices. They, they just, they don't live a normal life because they make a lot of money, so they're comfortable. L.A. Times, Republican allure. I can't believe you'd vote for Republicans. That's their final push. Here's the New York Times. I got it from behind the paywall with that Wayback Machine. You notice what the picture is. It's not Jane's Revenge. We're not, we're not going to cover that. Nope. Uh, that won't work. So, in our final spin, it's violence, a lot of abortion, including a TV show that mourned after Dobbs. It's called New Amsterdam, I guess. Never heard of it. The notion that violent crime is on the rise has left millions of Americans scared, and the GOP has tried to harness the power of that fear. Top Republicans condemned the Pelosi attack. They disputed that rhetoric played any role and instead pointed the finger entirely at the issue of rising violent crime rates. Is life in America actually more dangerous than it used to be? Here's what we know about crime at the national level. After years of decline, national rates of violent crime did rise during the COVID-19 pandemic. Between 2019 and 2020, the Trump years, the U.S. homicide rate rose about 30%. That's the highest increase recorded in modern history. Then in 2021, during Biden, the homicide rate rose 4.3%, according to the FBI. But the overall violent crime rate, not only counting homicides, all violent crime, well, that actually declined by 1% nationally, according to the FBI. So nationally, it appears, homicides are up, the overall violent crime rate is slightly down. Regionally though, where you live, well, that's a mixed bag. When crime rates go up, local prosecutors pushing criminal justice reform policies, they often get blamed. Is that fair? It's usually a lot more complicated than that. Take Boston, where the district attorney stopped prosecuting nonviolent offenses. What happened there? Violent crime decreased by 15% in 2021. And take two cities that increased their police budgets, Indianapolis, Indiana, and Mobile, Alabama. They increased their police budgets and saw an increase in violent crime last year. Biden versus big oil. The president accusing companies of war profiteering. His new threat and the response from big oil. And as we count down just seven days until those midterm elections, 50% of voters say inflation and the economy are their top concerns. And now President Biden is trying to take on big oil, threatening to impose new taxes on the industry's record profits. Our chief White House correspondent, Cecilia Vega, has more. Good morning, Cecilia. Hey, Michael, good morning from a foggy White House here. President Biden knows that gas prices can make or break this election. So the White House has been laser focused on these gas prices heading into these midterms. And they're pointing out facts like the giant oil companies like Exxon, Chevron and Shell. They reported quarterly profits last week totaling more than $40 billion. This at a time we were talking about it when we were seeing these record gas prices in so much of the country. So now the president is using his strongest words yet. He is accusing these oil companies of, quote, war profiteering. This may look like your standard long-haul RV, but step on board and it's a fully operational medical facility. 
or as these Planned Parenthood employees call it, an act of activism. It looks very much like a regular brick and mortar health center for us. But you can like feel the fact that yeah. we're not on, <laughs> Yes, we're not in a building. It is a little more bouncy. Dr. Colleen McNicholas is the chief medical officer at Planned Parenthood of St. Louis. She says the mobile clinic will be parked in Illinois near the border with Missouri to make abortions easier to access from out of state. They plan to provide medical abortions by pill here in the mobile unit by the end of the year and surgical procedures next year. We are in Illinois where abortion is legal, but is providing abortion to women in Missouri where it is illegal undermining Missouri law? You know, our priority is making sure that the constituents who have been left behind in those states have access to basic health care. Missouri only had one abortion clinic left before Roe fell. I think we're forgetting that that abortion uh, and and this kind of access is an economic issue. Sure is. It's a huge economic issue. It's just not a um, front and center in the moment economic issue. It's not. It is it's, for a woman who's who has an unwanted pregnancy. It is. The last thing before we go tonight: abortion and the economy. You heard it during our Friday nightcap last week. Access to abortion is an economic issue. Our friend Lee McGowan, a.k.a. Politics Girl, understands this connection in a very personal way. She shares her story and takes a deep dive into the issue in her new video. Watch this. ABC just released a poll that said, although the majority of Americans agree with Democrats on abortion, the number one issue is the economy, so they're going to vote on that. And I just have to say that I am so deeply sick and tired of this framing. It's not abortion or the economy. Abortion is part of the economy. What do you think happens to the economy when women are forced to carry babies they can't afford or aren't ready for? What do you think happens to the economy when women have to drop out of school or leave their jobs to care for a child? You know what's a kitchen table issue? How many people are sitting at your kitchen table? We live in a country where it can cost over $20,000 just to have a baby. We have no paid family leave, no affordable childcare. We are constantly defunding public schools. We don't have affordable health care or college. Adding to your family is 100% an economic issue in this country. If you're voting on the economy, then vote for the party that allows Americans to decide what is best for their own lives. A party that keeps women in the workplace if that is where they want to be. The party that is working to keep costs manageable for families on a budget. The party that voted to raise the minimum wage and tax major corporations to lower prescription drug prices. The party that wants to shore up Social Security, not take it away. It's not abortion or the economy. Choosing to bring a child into the world is an economic issue. There are a lot of close races, including one in Virginia involving a member of the January 6th committee. This is a race against Republican candidate Jen Kiggins and incumbent Democrat Elaine Loria. And Congresswoman Loria has something unique to talk about, what she calls her effort to prevent another attempted insurrection and attack on democracy. It's just unclear if that's going to sway enough votes. At a farmer's market in Virginia Beach, there's one thing on voters' minds. Food prices are bad. I mean, it's gone skyrocketed. Prices of everything, you know, gasoline, groceries, it's, it's, it's unreal. Like in so many congressional races, inflation and abortion rights are dominating the debate. Except this is a race and a campaign season like no other. Donald Trump maliciously repeated this nonsense. Because Loria isn't a typical incumbent. She's one of nine members of Congress who became national figures, leading the House January 6th Select Committee. Her opponent slams Loria for focusing too much on the investigation. So I think it shows that she's out of touch with this district. Being on the committee is out of touch. 
So focusing on January 6th, making that a priority and using her celebrity uh, on that committee to do things like fundraise. And I just think it's out of touch with what the voters of the 2nd District are really caring about right now. Loria strikes back, criticizing Kiggins for questioning Virginia's 2020 election results. The state president Biden won by 10 points. Is there any political peril to being a face of the January 6th committee in one of these toss-up, evenly split districts? Honestly, I don't care. Um, the truth about it is, is that the work that the committee is doing is so important. There we are in Virginia Beach, where they have strong thoughts, as you say, but they bring up inflation. They yeah. bring up the grocery prices. They bring up the gas prices. I mentioned the January 6th committee. The only media positive I actually have is that Tiffany Cross, without any fucking warning, got fucking shit canned. And, and this is the last thing she did on TV. Florida literally looks like the dick of the country, so let's get rid of Florida. Um, Ron, to, are yeah, you saying castrate the dick yeah, of the country? Let's castrate Florida. Here's the problem. Ron DeStupid, Ron DeSantis, whatever you want to call Florida man, he is so problematic. The people there passed Amendment 4, which gave returning citizens, those formerly incarcerated, the right to vote. He instituted a poll tax. He has done everything he can to keep black and brown people from the ballot. Mm -hmm. So before we go into This is America and finish the show, we're not doing a trans day, I wanted to play Ben Shapiro's take on the divider in speech speech and then a Tucker on illegal immigration and I don't know if I got the picture I don't I didn't um, I fucked up 209 interactions in the first month of this fiscal year that's what they ran into and they believe 60% get away so we're on pace to once again, under the first three years of Biden, get close to 7 million motherfucking illegal people in here. And as Tucker says in this soundbite, it's one of the greatest crimes a president's ever committed. Joe Biden's closing pitch seemed to be, Paul Pelosi got hit with a hammer. January 6th happened. If you don't elect me and my party, there'll be more Paul Pelosi's getting hit with hammers by apparently crazy, nude, quasi-homeless people who buy into conspiracy theories online but also wave around LGBT and Black Lives Matter flags. That's going to happen if you elect Republicans. And also there will be more January 6th if you elect Republicans or they just won't count your vote at all. It'll be like Stalin. They'll take all your ballots and they'll throw them in the river. This was Joe Biden's closing pitch. He started off, of course, by mentioning the Paul Pelosi attack, which 
again, the opportunism, the political opportunism here is pretty stunning. Democrats have a habit of doing this sort of thing. After Gabby Giffords was shot, Barack Obama flew to Arizona where he gave an anti-gun rally. After Paul Wellstone died in a plane crash, Democrats basically held a giant political rally ripping on Republicans. You don't tend to see this sort of stuff as much from Republicans, this particular kind of opportunism. After Steve Scalise was shot, you didn't get Republicans en masse doing big rallies, talking about how Democratic rhetoric had led to Steve Scalise getting shot. You just didn't see that. It's not, it seems almost entirely located on one side of the political aisle, maybe because Democrats actually believe that their opponents are evil, whereas Republicans tend to believe that their opponents are wrong or did until very recently. Maybe this will change in the near future. Maybe because both sides now see their opponents as evil rather than wrong. You'll see more of the, somebody on my side got attacked. It must be the evil people on the other side who are, who are to blame more broadly speaking. But Joe Biden certainly did that routine. So he got out there and opportunistically used the beating of Paul Pelosi as an excuse for why you must vote for his party in the upcoming elections. Okay, again, first of all, Joe Biden not with us any longer. I know that his teleprompter failed right there and he was stalling for time, what that was. But this is the narrative. Man hits Nancy Pelosi with hammer. Same thing as January 6th, same thing as Trump voters, same thing as anyone who would vote Republicans in 2022, even though Trump is not on the ballot. And all these things are just connected by equal signs. It's all, it's all the transitive property. That's all. Okay. Then he, he continued to suggest along these lines that what happened on January 6th was the result of the quote unquote big lie. And he says that that big lie is responsible for the rise in political violence and voter intimidation. And we'll, we'll, and we'll analyze this particular claim in just one second. Now, I noticed that the dangerous rise in um, voter intimidation and political violence started well before the last two years. It actually started in 2020, not at the beginning of 2021. I seem to remember the most damaging riots in American history egged on by a media that presented these riots as fiery but mostly peaceful and a, an, and a, a group of Democrats who literally attempted to bail out the rioters, as in Kamala Harris, one of the reasons it looks like the people who currently run the government are about to be repudiated in a historic way next Tuesday is that they have completely opened our southern border over which more than five million foreign nationals have come in and broken our laws by doing it. The situation on the border is not getting better. You'd think it would since there's an election coming up. It's getting worse. Fox's Bill Malugin knows that firsthand. He's in Eagle Pass, Texas for us tonight. He has some amazing footage. Hey, Bill. Hey, Tucker, that's right. The illegal crossings down here in the Eagle Pass area just nonstop. We had an absolutely enormous group cross illegally this morning, and we want to show you this remarkable drone footage our team shot before the sun came up. Take a look. This is our Fox News thermal-capable drone showing several hundred migrants crossing illegally into Normandy, Texas. Normandy is a tiny little town on the northern outskirts of Eagle Pass, and you can see as these illegal immigrants come in, they just kind of snake in through the brush right after they come across the Rio Grande. A CBP source telling us as of this morning in just a 24-hour span in this sector, there were more than 1,700 illegal crossings. And as you can see from this video, almost all the people coming in are single adults. Had a chance to talk to a lot of them as they were walking up. They're mostly from Cuba, Colombia, Nicaragua, uh, Uruguay, and the Dominican Republic. And you see them just walking in this single file line, willing to give themselves up and surrender to Border Patrol. They're doing that because they know once they step foot in the United States under the Biden administration, 
administration's policies, they're likely just going to be released into the United States rather than removed from the country. And we had a chance to talk to a lot of these migrants as they were walking up for processing, and we asked them a simple question in Spanish. Do you believe the border is open or is it closed? And everybody who talked to us laughed and smiled, and they said, abierto, abierto. It's open, it's open. No migrants ever tell us they believe that border is closed as they are crossing it illegally. And we see groups like this every single day out here in the Eagle Pass area. Just to put it in perspective for you, we had a group there in the same spot yesterday. And yesterday, in a one-hour span, we had more than 800 illegal crossings. And back out here live, a CBP source tells us, just since October 1st, just in this Del Rio sector, there have already been more than 46,000 illegal crossings. And that does not count the thousands of known gotaways. Tucker. Send it back to you. Greatest crime ever committed against the United States. By far, nothing ever has come close to what we're seeing now. And no one has reported on it more assiduously than you have. You want to talk about shitting on the Constitution and the country as a whole, because even illegal immigrants or immigrants that came here illegally, they're not down with this. But their final pitch has been... Me, everybody else, I can't believe that's your final pitch. That's it. Before we do This is America, I want to play this, and I don't even know how to frame it. In their zeal to get Democrats elected, National Public Radio that we finance played the sound of an abortion. This isn't for the faint, so fast forward two minutes if you do not want to listen. This next patient is not one of the patients you heard before. She's asked that we not use her name. She's from Michigan. She already has one kid. She's having her abortion at about 11 weeks. Nearly all abortions in Michigan are before 13 weeks. And like many patients at Northland, she said I could record her procedure. We're going to hear some of that now. So I am just going to get you set up on the table, and we're going to do that sedation medicine. Okay. I'm going to pull this out under your legs. Most patients are partially awake during the procedures. They get IV medication for pain and anxiety. The lights are dimmed. There's soothing music. It actually feels a lot like a childbirth. The medical gown, your bare legs and stirrups, and a person next to you saying, you can do this. Please breathe. Just keep breathing. That's Brandy. She's one of the staffers. Her job is to monitor vital signs, but it is also to hold the patient's hand and talk her through this. Whether it's a birth or an abortion, it is often women guiding other women. You're going to hear this machine turn on now. Okay, it makes a loud noise. Okay. Blow it out, blow it out, breathe through it, breathe through it, blow it out. Listen to me, blow it out. If you hold your breath, it just makes it harder for you. Keep breathing. Keep just keep breathing, Brandy tells her over and over. I can't, the patient says at one point, when the cramps get painful. Yes, you can, Brandy tells her. You're doing it. And then within just a couple of minutes, it's over. Take some deep breaths for me. Catch a breath. That's just sick. That's how invested they are in liberal causes, that they'll actually air that. That is just fucking sick. So, our This is America is what the media has also been pushing with violence and deniers and abortion. 
in key districts, they're gonna cheat again. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. Don't catch you slipping now. Don't catch you slipping now. Look what I'm whipping now. This is America. It's time for the last soundbite. Like the media say when they are pushing fake liberal agenda stories. And this is America. What we see in the early hours of the night may change dramatically over time. I feel like that is the PSA that we can't repeat enough. And, and let me just put a fine point on this. A little history lesson back in 2020 in the presidential election. I'm going to use Georgia as an example here and just remind folks what we all went through. So take a look at the timestamp. This is 2020 presidential race, Trump versus Biden. 7.16 p.m. November 3rd. The polls had just closed. Votes just started coming in the system. You see here a 30 five percentage point advantage uh, for Trump. Now follow along the timestamp 807 Trump 33,000 votes ahead 53 to 45 at midnight on November 4th. Donald Trump had 315,000 vote lead. He had a eight percentage point lead there over Joe Biden. 24 hours later, Donald Trump still in the lead this time cut to 33,000 votes 49.7 uh, to 40%. 24 hours after that November 6th. Donald Trump still in the lead, but Biden catching up. And then if you fast forward to November 7th at midnight, that is when Joe Biden actually flipped ahead of Donald Trump in Georgia and he held on to that lead. Why? Because the mail vote was taking a while to get counted and that was where most of Biden's votes were. Do any of these key states have a track record of taking longer to count votes? Yeah, the problem is almost all of them. So let's go back to... There is no reason in a country as developed as us that you cannot pre-count absentee ballots and mail-in. Most states do. You want to stop conspiracy theories or people thinking that you're stealing elections, don't fuck around with the votes because that's what you're doing. So before I do my closing statement, I found this ad that somebody did, and it's just, it's our second Lighter fare. This is funny. Then, America was saved. Embraced by the loving arms of our new president, Joe Biden. Biden has brought back kindness and decorum. No, I wish you were in high school. I could take him behind the gym. Biden is a voice of clarity. America is a nation that can be defined in a single word. I was going to put him in uh, foot. A voice of reason. He is the smartest man I know. They're going to put you all back in chains. And he's good with numbers. Let me start off with two words. Made in America. 700 billion and a trillion, 300 million billion dollars. Under his leadership, the Biden administration has brought us safety. It has brought us economic prosperity. It has empowered the next generation. And now, you have the chance to make sure it continues for another two years. This election day, vote for whoever the Biden administration is asking you to vote for. They know what's best. Together, we will ensure things will continue to go the way they've been going forever and ever. I'm Joe Biden and I approve this, this, uh, wait, wait, who? You know? 
that's pretty much what you're voting for if you vote for Biden. <laughs> He's a shithead. <laughs> so what did we learn today? Well, a party that believes that we're turning into Germany because the other party's going to be in charge, that you won't be able to vote them out of office because they don't want you to vote them out of office, that democracy is in peril unless you vote for me, and simultaneously says that if you do not believe in live birth abortion, open borders, getting rid of gasoline cars, inflation isn't important, um, gas prices don't mean anything, And use all this language, the language that does incite violence, the language that is telling people we're in peril. This is now from 2012 till now. If you think about every election, you vote for Romney, a person who gave people cancer, had a car garage, and he put a dog on his roof. You're voting for a person that's going to take away all your money and give it to rich people. If you vote for Trump, we're going to lose democracy. You're now in the throes of a a party that since 2012 has had their way. They've owned every institution. They own all the media. They've been caught finagling polling stations. They've been caught with the DHS using uh, third-party entities to go around the fucking Constitution. Man, these motherfuckers need to be voted out of office. Just cut and dry. I mean, there's races in Oregon, for fuck's sake, where they're close. I'm not saying a Republican's going to win, but that's unheard of. That's blue. But these people don't get it. They mock your pain. Like, the pain is a feature. It's what they want to happen. They want us... To have $8 gas so that you'll go to a different thing. But they forgot that they regulated electricity. As you saw him say, we're going to get rid of coal. That's coal plants. Uh, Right now, I'm next to it. It's got a scrubber, but it burns coal. That's how it makes steam off the river. Because we don't have hydroelectric out here. The rivers aren't powerful enough. So my electricity is already very, very high. Remember, it was 150 last year, it's 200 this year. That's because of the Biden administration re-implementing the Obama administration regulations that punish you if you use coal. So I will still be paying the gas, but it'll be on my electricity bill. And they still don't want to say how we're going to get 500,000. We have 15,000 gas stations, but 500,000 charging stations are going to be able to work on a grid that when it gets super cold in Texas and California, they have to shut you down for three hours. Cold or hot. They mock you. They don't care about you. They they don't know anything about you. You're evil. It's always been the thing, you know, I I don't believe Republicans are great. I think Republicans are useless fucks. They're going to go up there and not going to do anything. Remember when they took power, all they did was 60 live birth abortion bills that never were going to get signed. And they did uh, 60, let's get rid of Obamacare, which was never going to happen. They didn't change anything. They didn't defund Planned Parenthood because they got scared of CNN and Twitter and everything else. When they should not be getting $650 million because they're putting down a million kids. That's their business. Chemical and mechanical abortions. That's what they do. 
But these people got to go. If your final word, and it's across the board, it's progressives in the media, it's progressives in Hollywood, it's progressives on Twitter, it's progressives in the White House, the Senate, every institution, the FBI, the DHS, they are the election deniers. When you deny that the system will work, when you deny that it's time for you to go, you're the fascist, you're the denier. Yes, there are 308 people who question the 2020 election. It goes with 74 million and more, probably about 90 million people in this country because lefties even go, what the fuck? How did a man get 81 million votes? How did you change 80 laws without legislating and just went around him like Biden's doing with this fucking college tuition? Another reason. Why do you think you have the right to spend money? You're the fucking executive branch. You don't have that power. These people need to go. I don't think a lot's going to change. I don't think we're going to change overnight. I think the right with McConnell and McCarthy who hangs out with that fucking Luntz motherfucker who's a liberal. I don't think we're going to have vast improvement. But we got to get these people out of power. Because if they continue to hold the Senate and the House, you will lose guns. You will lose your gas car. You will lose more free speech they've proven they don't believe you have the right to decide for yourself what truth is these are the people that said there were two different truths with trump and that we needed to fact check a million times and you got a president who literally said he spoke to the guy invented insulin who was dead before he was born corn pop Gas prices, inflation. The man doesn't know what day it is. And lastly, and I know I look like I'm a fanboy because I do like Kerry Lake and I do like DeSantis for the way they fight back professionally, not Trumpy. I have yet to see a video with Carrie Lake where she's not an articulate person that could carry a thought without a teleprompter, without notes. It's like Trump. He could talk for an hour and a half. Say what you say about him. He was an asshole. He was embarrassing as a president. I agree. But the motherfucker had a functioning medulla oblongata. And when they tell you that Carrie Lake is a piece of garbage, but Fetterman's going to save democracy. That's all you need to know. It seems like most of us already know this, and most of us live our lives by it. Whatever the media said, the opposite is true. And with these candidates, every candidate they said was a garbage human, I researched, and it was all false. It was all made up. And the reason why they did it was because they had to take them down. They weren't supposed to be good. She was just supposed to be a fucking TV personality. And finally, if election denying was so important that we've done two speeches and the media has lost their fucking shit over it, why did you pump $60 million to get them elected in the primaries? 
If it's such a danger, you wouldn't have put money into it. Methinks you're just making it up. Which proves to be the truth in most of this stuff. You're just making it up. It's just dirty, dirty politics. And I think that's what really bothers me about it. You think at some point in our existence as a nation, we would get better at the ability to actually articulate policies and what your vision is for America. But all we see is mudslinging and the left is so dirty. It's so personal. And the moment Obama said bitter clingers, we're now it's the voter. And that's what angers me. Listen, my views, if you listen to the show, are not extreme. I don't think you should ban abortion because people are going to do it anyway. The left doesn't follow the law. I don't think we should not have immigration. I don't think that electric cars are a bad idea. I'd like one if it had 400 miles to a gallon or to a a charge. I, I would drive one in town. It would save me oil and a whole bunch of shit. I would probably vote more for Democrats sometimes, especially when I have Marsha Blackburn, who doesn't know shit about military. I've talked to her. She's an idiot. I know I repeat that story, but she's a moron. But how do I vote for a party that says I'm evil because I believe in a god? Because I believe in a nuclear family. I and 80% of the country, or 84%, believe... There's only two genders. Because I wear a dress doesn't make me a girl. If that's the case, then I'm black, motherfucker. Where's my free? Because that's what you guys say. Black people need everything for free. I mean, you, you follow the lineage of their identity politics and everything they talk about. They are the fascist. They are the racist that do the... Low expectation of African Americans and think they got to take care of them. They don't want you to take care of them. They're doing just fine. It's been a long time since they were picking fucking cotton. But you can't tell that in the media. It's like yesterday was the Emancipation Declaration and Jim Eagle is today in a state that has more voter turnout than it's ever had with longer voting times. With mail-in balloting. They they just made it legal. And I didn't hit it in this show because I hit it in every show. What they're doing with children and brainwashing them with CRT and LGBT, EIEIO, and saying it is so imperative to sterilize them with chemicals of the wrong hormone and give them sex changes before they reach legal age. If that isn't a reason to go into a voting booth and vote against them, I don't know what one is. That's sick. And the entire Democratic establishment, the media, has embraced it because it's not about gender dysphoria and helping children because they need mental help. Even if it's just what we're seeing now, the mass statistics in certain areas where 20% of, 25% of all females are turning into boys because they want the attention, there's a hole in there. They need help. Growing up is not easy. I've said it on the show. 
I don't know how I would have or how I'd act if I had to be me and my digital me. And both of those were important. And the bullying you get online, it would be so difficult. And for some of these kids that don't fit in, they feel like a square and a round fucking whole world. The easy out is to say, my name's no longer Pete, it's Paula, and I'm going to be a girl because I get attention. I get treated special. And as we speak about all the time on this show, all the fucking time, we've created a victim class. Everybody wants to be a victim. And the Democrats' policies are all about victimhood. They're not about, I'm going to set the table so you can be successful. And that's what we need to get back to. People that are just going to go get things moving, work on Washington. Don't worry about my child's dick or Dreg's story hour or what we're eating or who we're praying to or what car we're driving or what TV shows we believe in or how we speak. Just run the fucking government and let us handle our business. At one time, it might have made sense to say in some cities with African Americans, the lack of two-parent households, not being racial, that's just a reality. It did take a village, but this village is broken. You got people shitting in the village right on the street, doing heroin on the street. You know, I, I just went through my drug shit this week. The things I have to do, I have to buy Narcan so I can take hydrocodone. But you can be in downtown Portland shooting heroin. They don't have to have Narcan. We're twisted. So we don't need them in our families. We don't need them in our lives. We need them just to run the fucking government. Get the economy unfucked. Fix gas by increasing refinement is what we need. Not 500,000 fucking charging stations. Fix the diesel problem because we only have a 25-day supply, which in a cold spell is going to be really bad or a hurricane or a natural disaster. Because everything you eat, the Copenhagen I put in my mouth came on a diesel truck. Without diesel, I don't have Copenhagen. It's time for serious people. We let the liberal art majors run the country. They've been running every institution since 2012. They're very hypocritical. They have people running that are mentally defect and a president that literally is not well. And they were the ones that told you everybody you voted for was mentally ill. So vote. I've cast my lot so I can bitch come November 9th. So this wraps up another episode of Flower Politic Podcast. Go to FoppPodcast.com to find links to this show and all shows. Make sure you share it with your family and friends. Disconnect from all your devices. If I can ask you one more time to root for Noah Gregson tonight at 5 p.m. Central Time, the championship race for the Xfinity NASCAR Cup is going to be in effect, and I hope he wins. He had eight wins, seventeen or 18 stage wins. He deserves it. 
But these races are just bizarre. You go through all these points and cuts, and then the last race is if somebody finishes fourth and everybody else finishes fifth, sixth, seventh, the fourth wins. It's a stupid system. He deserves it. I hope he wins it. And I could use a win. I could really use a win in my life right now. Um, as you can see, I'm a little more animated. It's working. I'm taking a lot of Benadryl, but the gallbladder is coming back. It doesn't like food. Um, I have a surgery appointment to get my stomach sewed up and to remove my gallbladder, which is a whole set of things. But it's time. Um, it just doesn't like food. It doesn't matter what I ate. I ate a old-fashioned chocolate glazed donut yesterday and I was sick for six hours my stomach was feeling good so I gave it a go I won't be doing that again um it, it didn't go well so I hope I do get the operation I know it's going to be tough because your bile dumps straight into your intestines which gives you mass diarrhea and all sorts of issues and I'll pay if I eat bad food but um I want to get back to work I don't want to be on the sidelines I want to have a good Christmas can't have a good Christmas when you're on a fixed income. Uh, not that I need anything, but I like buying stuff for my wife. So um, prayers, if you're a praying person, I can still use them. I got hope, but sometimes hope isn't enough. I, I need some divine guidance to get them to do the right thing. Because what the general who saw me this week, um, what he wants to do doesn't mean it's going to happen. But he definitely was... The right guy at the right time. He was pissed, chewed some ass, told him, what the fuck is this guy still coming here? It's ridiculous. Issued me some stuff and uh, gave me his personal card. So if I start spiraling, call him and he'll get me something. So that was a, a good day. So anyway, let's look at doing it. Uh, the next show will be Wednesday. We'll do it after the election. Um, even though, as we saw by our This Is America, they're going to make sure they rig the vote in some areas. But hopefully enough Republicans will take back the House and Senate and we can start pushing back on this insanity. Um, and for those that are saying, well, you're not going to, you know, they always say if you're conservative leading, you never really call balls and strikes on the other side. Oh, if they don't do shit, you'll be seeing me dog McConnell and McCarthy. We're not voting these fuckers in just so they can sit there and be in charge. We got serious problems, and once again, we need serious people to get seriously busy. Thanks for listening, everybody. You take care.